most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, the 840th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we were discussing the verdict handed down in E. Jean Carroll's lawsuit against Donald Trump, a civil suit accusing him of rape and sexual battery and defamation. A jury of nine jurors was instructed that if they thought there was a better than 50% chance that Trump did any of these things to E. Jean Carroll, then they should find for E. Jean Carroll. They did not believe her about her rape accusation, and they found against her on that issue, but they didn't want to say that they don't hashtag believe women. So they decided that there was a better than 50% chance that Donald Trump touched her inappropriately and awarded her $20,000 for this apparent indiscretion that almost definitely didn't happen almost 40 years ago. Now, because Donald Trump said mean things about E. Jean Carroll, the woman falsely accusing him of rape, the jury also found that Donald Trump had defamed her And they are awarding her millions of dollars as a penalty for that. All of this is going to be appealed. Everyone in Trump's camp expects to win on appeal. Here is his attorney, Joe Tacopina. Yeah, I mean, strange verdict. Um, This was a rape claim. It was a rape case all along, and the jury rejected that, but made all the findings, so... Um, will obviously be appealing those other findings, but they rejected her rape claim, and she'd always claimed this was a rape case. Um, So it's a little perplexing, but, um, you know, we move forward. Did you speak to Mr. Trump, and what did he tell you? We've spoken, um, and we're ready to, you know, proceed, go forward. Obviously, you know, he's firm in his belief, as many people are, that he cannot get a fair trial in New York City. 
um, based on the jury pool. And um, I think one could argue that that's probably a, an accurate assessment um, based on what happened today. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it's something that, you know, we're very confident on the appellate issues here. Um, the Access Hollywood tape should not have come into this case. Some other things should have come into the case. I mean, we made many <coughs> motions that we thought would would create um, issues for appeal, and, and we're going to em employ them now. Um, you know, there were things that happened in this case that were beyond the pale. I mean, we made a mistrial motion through the trial because of some of the rulings and, and we believe a bias that was displayed by the court. Um, this judge has been overturned already once by the Second Circuit in Carroll versus Trump, and we think he's going to be overturned a second time. Um, but in the meantime, we, uh, you know, we march forward. He was found not liable for the rape, and that's it. And that's about how you would expect an attorney to sound after he has just witnessed yet another in a long line of blatant abuses of the American legal system and the American justice system. Laws were changed in New York State to allow E. Jean Carroll to bring this case, and she was funded by Democrat billionaire and Epstein associate Reed Hoffman, who is thinking of financially backing Ron DeSantis's campaign to make sure that Donald Trump won't be president again. Well, hey, good luck, Reed Hoffman. The Trump campaign responded in a lengthy statement. This is all up in the info stream at t.me slash I'm your moderator. There are a bunch of links, references to all the factual claims made in this statement. So if you're trying to get up to speed on this issue, these posts have everything you need to know in them. The Democratic Party's never-ending witch hunt to President Trump hit a new low today. In jurisdictions wholly controlled by the Democratic Party, our nation's justice system is now compromised by extremist left-wing politics. We've allowed false and totally made-up claims from troubled individuals to interfere with our elections, doing great damage. Make no mistake, this entire bogus case is a political endeavor targeting President Trump because he is now an overwhelming frontrunner to once again be elected president of the United States. The continued abuse of our great constitution for political ends is disgusting and cannot be tolerated. Our nation is in serious trouble when claims lacking any evidence or proof or eyewitnesses can invade our courts to score political points. Sadly, for the enemies of American freedom and democracy, President Trump will never stop fighting for the American people, no matter what the radical Democrats dream up next. This case will be appealed and we will ultimately win. And then they begin to lay down the factual case. The Democrats' weaponization of the American judicial system against President Trump reaches a new low. The E. Jean Carroll case is part of the Democrats' vast campaign against President Trump. Some bullet points. President Trump is dominating polling against Joe Biden and all Republican challengers. We are winning and the Trump haters are panicking. The Carroll case was orchestrated and funded by the biggest Trump hating Democrats in the country. President Trump has never had any kind of relationship with E. Jean Carroll. Voter registration of the jury pool for this case favors Democrats by a seven to one ratio over Republicans. E. Jean Carroll hired the disgraced hypocrite Roberta Kaplan to lead her frivolous lawsuit at the urging of Trump hater George Conway. Ms. Kaplan resigned in disgrace from Time's Up for helping Governor Andrew Cuomo smear a sexual harassment accuser. Roberta Kaplan, Carroll's attorney, was forced out of her role 
leading activist group Time's Up after it was revealed that she advised the public smearing of a woman who accused former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment. Kaplan's motives for taking this case are purely political, and it cites the New York Times, an article from 2021. Carol testified that only after speaking with notorious Trump hater George Conway did she consider suing the president. This from the Washington Examiner. Takapina played a part of Carol's tape deposition from October in which she recalled her response of no, no, no. When people asked her in 2019, if she planned to sue Trump, it wasn't until she spoke to Conway, quote, who knew the ins and outs end quote, that she decided to consider suing Trump. Carol testified before that you had no intention of suing Donald Trump. As we just heard, Takapina said, Carol contended that was correct saying after speaking with Conway, she met with a lawyer he recommended and that she was aware at the time of Conway's anti-Trump disposition. This case was funded by Democrat megadonor and LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman. Hoffman said he'll do, quote unquote, whatever it takes to defeat President Trump, citing an article from Puck News in late March that I covered on the podcast. Hoffman made the largest contribution to the Biden supporting Unite the Country Super PAC when it launched in late 2019. This is from the Free Beacon. The Unite the Country PAC, which launched in late October as Biden was posting low fundraising totals, hauled in $4.2 million in February. Its newest records show its largest donation was a million dollars from LinkedIn founder and Democrat megadonor Reed Hoffman, who previously apologized for, quote, helping to repair. Epstein's reputation and for funding a pro-Democrat disinformation campaign in Alabama. And that disinformation campaign has been discussed and exposed in the Twitter files. So we've discussed that before as well. Hoffman admitted to staying overnight at Epstein's island, Little St. James in 2015. Mr. Hoffman told the journal he only once visited Epstein's island residence, Little St. James, for an MIT fundraising trip with Mr. Ito. He said he regrets ever meeting with Epstein, and his last interaction with Epstein was in 2015. It gnaws at me that, by lending my association, I helped his reputation and thus delayed justice for his survivors, Mr. Hoffman said in an email. He said he met with Epstein to discuss science projects at universities. While I relied on MIT's endorsement, ultimately, I made the mistake, he said, and I am sorry for my personal misjudgment. So he's doing business with Epstein, visiting Epstein's various homes, potentially supporting Ron DeSantis. That's how scared he is of Donald Trump. And he's funding the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit against Trump for rape, which the jury did not believe. Neither Carroll nor anyone else offered as a witness in the trial could remember the year the event allegedly occurred. This is from ABC News. In testimony, Carol said she cannot recall the date of the alleged event. When do you believe Donald Trump assaulted you? Her attorney, Mike Ferrara, asked Carol during her testimony Wednesday. This question, the when, the when, the date, has been something I've been constantly trying to pin down. Carol said, so she has no idea. Clinton appointed Judge Lewis Kaplan, who officiated the wedding of Carol's co-counsel, excluded key evidence from the trial, 
namely the funding of the case by Reed Hoffman and the supposed DNA evidence Carol claims she has. And they cite the legal filing of the judge officiating the wedding of Ms. Carol's attorney, Ms. Crowley. Ms. Carroll's story is suspiciously similar to a 2012 episode of Law & Order SVU. This is from Breitbart. In evidence, it was revealed that a 2012 Law & Order SVU episode featured a storyline centering on an alleged rape in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. This episode aired several years after Carol's allegations and seven years prior to her coming forward with them. On Monday, Trump's attorney also mentioned another stunning coincidence. Carol's description of the alleged incident is very similar to a 2012 episode of Law & Order SVU. In that episode, titled Theater and Tricks, an individual talks about a rape fantasy in Bergdorf Goodman, the same store Carol claims the incident took place. Role play took place in the dressing room of Bergdorf's. While she was trying on lingerie, I would burst in, the character in the episode said. According to Carol, the two were in the lingerie section and Trump allegedly assaulted her in the dressing room. Carol claimed to be aware of the episode, but denied watching it. So this crazy lady is an advice columnist and she gets all these letters in all the time that she responds to and just makes up answers to. The woman is nuts. There's plenty of video and interviews of her talking about this as her job and how she would approach that job. She's made these allegations against Donald Trump. She's gone on television with Anderson Cooper to talk about how people fantasize about rape. It's kind of a sexy subject. She was not going to sue at all. Then she began talking to George Conway. She got funding from Reed Hoffman and New York changed their law, allowing her to file these claims, despite the fact that they're from nearly 40 years ago and any statute of limitations for criminal liability has expired. They changed the law that allowed her to do this. They brought this to trial and the jury decided that there was no reason to believe that she had been raped, but they didn't want to just send her home with nothing. So they decided that Maybe there was a better than 50% chance that he had touched her in some wrong way. So they gave her $20,000. And then because Trump said mean things, they gave her the defamation claim and awarded her millions of dollars. I would guess that money is never going to get paid. I don't think she's going to see one red cent. Now, who would want money out of this case besides E. Jean Carroll? E. Jean Carroll did not prove rape and the jury doesn't believe there's even a 50% chance she's telling the truth about that. So if she had been sexually assaulted, and there's absolutely no reason to believe that she has, this would provide no justice for her. But there is big money attached, which means that Reed Hoffman would stand to see some return on his investment. Aside from, however, this might harm Trump's reputation, it's doubtful that it's going to harm Trump's reputation at all. The only people who are trying to exploit this are people whose Twitter feeds are filled with Trump hate all day anyway, people who are obsessed with Donald Trump for eight years running, but they were already saying all these things. No one else is going to believe it. And you can kind of tell that with the coverage, especially from the Con Inc. media. Outlets like National Review are focused on the fact that even if Donald Trump is not a rapist, 
he still put himself in this situation by handling things so poorly. So National Review, once again, with a very principled argument, as a man, you should accept incoming rape claims from wherever and not say anything bad about the person falsely accusing you of rape. That's the National Review standing up for conservatism and sound moral principles. Someone can falsely accuse you of rape, abuse the legal system in coordination with well-funded political actors, and you have to sit there and take it. In response, Trump released a series of short videos. The first one is actually pretty funny. This was a very unfair trial. That's all you have to say. This was a very unfair trial. So he keeps that one short and sweet. He keeps this one short and sweet, too. I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. The verdict is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. Absolutely a shame. And here's number three. What else can you expect from a Trump-hating, Clinton-appointed judge who went out of his way to make sure that the result of this trial was as negative as it could possibly be, speaking to and in control of a jury from an anti-Trump area, which is probably the worst place in the United States for me to get a fair trial. We'll be appealing this decision. It's a disgrace. I don't even know who this woman is. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. We cannot let our country go into this abyss. This is disgraceful. You have somebody running for office. You have a woman that's financed and lied about it. She totally lied about it by Democrat operatives, like just about the biggest one there is. And she said that wasn't true. They found that she lied about it, and the judge wasn't even, I guess, letting it be put in as evidence. The whole thing is a scam, and it's a shame, and it's a disgrace to our country. He also released a series of Truth Social posts. The partisan judge and jury on the just-concluded witch hunt trial should be absolutely ashamed of themselves for allowing such a travesty of justice to take place. The dress which played such a big role early on as a threatening bluff, but which ended up being totally exculpatory, was not allowed into the trial as evidence, nor was her cat's name, Vagina, the racist name she called her black husband, Ape, getting caught in a lie on the political operative paying for this hoax, and much more. After listening to the Anderson Cooper tape of the Carol interview, where she said rape is sexy and other totally incriminating things, it is not possible to believe that this woman, who I do not know and have never met before, except on a crowded celebrity photo line, could be credible or convincing to a judge and jury. Why did Cooper suddenly call for a commercial break? And why was Carol a totally different person after the break? What took place during the break for such a drastic change? The Clinton-appointed judge, Lewis Kaplan, hated President Donald J. Trump more than is humanly possible. He is a terrible person, completely biased, and should have recused himself when asked to do so. He quickly refused. This case should never have been allowed to be tried in this completely partisan venue, perhaps the worst for me in the nation. 
The whole rigged hoax is yet another travesty of justice, a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt of all time. This witch hunt is all about election interference, but so far it seems to be backfiring on the radical left misfits who can't win an election without cheating. And let's listen to one last clip just to put a real fine point on this E. Jean Carroll thing. This is E. Jean Carroll and her lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, on CNN. Can I end on something that I think um, is really important in all of this? And it's the fact that New York passed this law, yeah. the Adult Survivors Act. They passed it just a few years ago. Were it not for that law, you never would have been able to bring this case. And I just think it speaks to the importance for a lot of other survivors. Exactly. This would never, I would never have this window this year of having the ability uh, to bring a lawsuit for rape. Robbie can explain it better. Well, EGN actually helped to get that law passed. It passed last year. Uh, we filed, uh, it was Thanksgiving Day, it was the first day you could sue. We filed it for just after midnight. So she helped get the law passed. It opened up a year-long window where the statute of limitations didn't matter, and they immediately sued. Isn't that incredible? So despite all this, things are still getting worse in the Get Trump effort for the Get Trump people. So Trump met this woman in a photo line at a celebrity event, which means you basically shake hands, take a picture, have 30 seconds of small talk, and move on. There's no proof that he knows this woman at all besides that. There's absolutely no proof that he ever met her in Bergdorf Goodman or ever even flirted with her, much less touched her. Everything about this case is absurd, and none of it suggests a properly functioning justice system in this country. People are going to try to take advantage of what the jury awarded to E. Jean Carroll, and that will last for maybe a couple of days, and then everyone will forget about it because yet another Get Trump effort has failed. They got a few hours worth of a news cycle yesterday. People who already hate Trump have a new reason to feel like their hatred is justified for a few days. And that's it. It doesn't hurt him in primaries. He's not a convicted criminal. He's going to appeal the decision. They will win on appeal. He's not going to pay this woman a dime. She'll probably end up owing him money, just like Stormy Daniels owes Donald Trump. $600,000 plus. And it seems like perhaps people are realizing that they're not gonna get Trump. This is from The Hill this morning. Democrats have sinking feeling Trump could beat Biden. Democrats are getting a sinking feeling when it comes to Donald Trump. They can see him winning again. A New York jury in a civil trial Tuesday found the former president liable for sexual assault and defamation. But a number of Democrats say their party is underestimating Trump, who, despite a series of scandals, is the frontrunner for the GOP presidential nomination. There is a concern from a lot of people like me, for sure, said one prominent Democratic strategist. There's a disconnect between the consultant class of our party and the voters. They think they can just run a bunch of ads talking about how crazy Donald Trump is, and that will be enough. That's just not the case. Another strategist warned others in his party, be very effing worried. And you got to wonder if maybe they're not that worried because all they care about doing is stealing the election. And as long as their system remains in place, The only thing they actually have to accomplish is 
the creation and dissemination of a narrative that will convince enough of this country that people really don't like Donald Trump. And there's no way Donald Trump could have a majority. There's no way he could win an election. That's all they need to do. Just convince people that there's a chance Donald Trump might lose. And then the election theft will take care of the rest. For a part of the party, it seems unfathomable that Trump could regain the office he left in 2021, just weeks after a mob of his supporters forced the evacuation of Congress and interfered with the certification of the election. Trump now faces a string of lawsuits and controversies, yet some polls show him beating President Biden in a one-on-one -on -one matchup because he doesn't really face a string of lawsuits and controversies. They exist. They're going to play out. They're going to happen. They'll indict Trump more times for more things, but there's no basis for any of it. And we already know that we have seen this pattern repeat countless times over the last eight years. They accuse Donald Trump of something. They overload us with every possible quote unquote fact that could prove Donald Trump is very guilty. And then what happens? The actual facts come out. People dig into all the issues. Sometimes it takes a long time for people to understand that they've been lied to by the TV. Now it doesn't take that long. Now they don't get a few years worth of the Russia hoax or the Mueller investigation. Now they get a couple of days of people freaking out and pretending something bad is really happening. And then it's gone like it never even happened. How many of the normies out there, the villagers, understand that right now, Stormy Daniels owes Donald Trump more than half a million dollars? Do any of them understand that? Of course not. They think Donald Trump is in big, big trouble with Alvin Bragg, but he's not in big trouble with Alvin Bragg because that whole thing is a farce as we've gone over countless times. We talked about the issue in Georgia this week. That's a farce. We've talked about the Mar-a-Lago raid at length. So that's the Jack Smith thing. That's where they think they're really going to get him. Jack Smith is going to indict Trump for improperly handling documents. And that's all supposed to hang a dark cloud over Donald Trump and his campaign as we go into 2024. But it's just not going to work because there's nothing there. All of this relies on the ridiculous belief that somehow people still hold on to. Because they want to imagine that they are the smart ones. They are the strong ones. They were right about Trump the whole time. They are smarter than Trump. They're better than Trump. They're more competent than Trump. They're better decision makers. They're more responsible. Blah, blah, blah. The whole thing. Just keep going. They're just much better people than Donald Trump. And they still think Donald Trump is dumb and Donald Trump's incompetent. And Donald Trump's careless. So for sure, he made mistakes. Oh, he took the wrong documents to his house. He was taking important nuclear documents and then selling them to our adversaries. Hey, commies. Nah, that's not true. That's Joe Biden and the Clintons and the Obamas. Just wait for it. It's coming. In fact, it's already started. And we'll get to that in just a second. An ABC News Washington Post poll this week found Trump leading Biden by six points, 45 percent to 39 percent. But Democratic operatives and even some Republicans have criticized the survey as an outlier, with many saying privately and publicly that the data appears inconsistent. 
Yet the ABC Post poll isn't the only one showing Trump with an edge. A Harvard-Harris poll from late last month placed Trump ahead of Biden by five points, while another by the Wall Street Journal gave Biden a smaller 3% lead. Last week, Democrats got another glimpse into the state of play. Trump and Biden in a dead heat. The Economist YouGov poll put them each at 46%. Polls also show a lack of passion in Biden's re-election effort, with many saying they'd prefer a different Democratic candidate. One bright spot for Democrats came from Trump's tepid campaign launch, which was rife with personal grievances and complaints about the last election. His lackluster kickoff gave Democrats some optimism that he'd be weaker in 2024. Over the spring, Trump's problems got worse with an indictment in New York and various pending legal battles, leaving many to question whether he could realistically secure the Republican nomination, let alone win the general election. It's reasonable to think as the country focuses on Joe Biden versus the Republican alternative and on the contrast that will present, Joe Biden's standing will improve in that binary choice scenario, said a former campaign aide to 2016 Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. And with advice like that, it's hard to see how Clinton lost as directed their energy at convincing everyone that Donald Trump is one of the worst people to ever walk the earth for eight years. And he is still ahead of Joe Biden. Why? Because people have realized who Donald Trump is too, outside of the media narrative. The media narrative says Joe Biden's great and Trump is terrible. People are understanding it's exactly the opposite. The article goes on. Feel free to read it if you like. It's essentially a bunch of quotes from Democrats saying how things really aren't that bad. So let's talk about the fake president, the man who is actually corrupt, the man who has led a decades long career of political corruption after being mentored in politics by a Klan leader. We've been talking over the last few weeks about the letter from 51 former intelligence officials saying the Hunter Biden laptop had all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. And we found out that that letter was generated at the behest of the Joe Biden campaign. It was written to create a talking point for Joe Biden in his debate with Donald Trump so that he could lean on something and say, no, none of this is real. Anthony Blinken was involved with the creation of this letter. Mike Morrell was involved in the creation of this letter. Former CIA who wanted to be the CIA director under Joe Biden. Somehow that never happened. John Brennan was involved in that email chain. Everybody involved with that letter knew what the letter was for and knew that the laptop was not Russian disinformation. Here's John Solomon on Fox News last night with more. Just the news dot com. John Solomon, you have news breaking just literally within the last 20 minutes. Yes, sir. Uh, the Chairman Jordan just referenced it, a very important uh, piece of evidence. An email from Tony Blinken, then the camp senior campaign advisor to Joe Biden, soon to be in 2020, the Secretary of State nominee and the Secretary of State. In October 2020, he not only called Mike Morrell to instigate or to trigger the letter, that's the word that Mike Morrell uses, triggered. Uh, he later delivers the main payload of the letter. What's that? It's the one reference in the letter that claims that Russian that the laptop is Russian disinformation. Most of the letters uh, uses some nice intelligence speak saying this has the hallmarks of a Russian information campaign. A Russian information campaign can be something true that uh, the Russians just want to take advantage of. Russian disinformation means the laptop is fake, false, uh, a, a trick. 
And that one sentence that is put into that letter, the one sentence that the whole media globbed onto, comes from Tony Blinken when he sends a USA Today article to Mike Morell. You now have a copy of it. We shared it with Fox News a little bit ago. This email shows uh, Tony Blinken on the night of October 17th, around 10.53 in the evening, sending the USA Today article, the only thing that really ever suggested the laptop was Russian disinformation. And that email or that uh, story gets boiled down into the famous line that dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop as disinformation. Those 51 intelligence experts had no basis to make that claim. Tony Blinken gives him a basis by sending him a news article from USA Today, which, by the way, doesn't turn out to be true either. So Anthony Blinken, the man who is currently the fake secretary of state in the illegitimate administration, used a fake news article from USA Today and sent that to the intelligence officials. Is that what intelligence officials do? They read fake news articles and then accept the claims of the fake news article and then assume that that's what the real situation is. And then they write letters to influence the outcomes of elections. Whoops. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's your deep state. That is your global state propaganda media. That is the regime doing what the regime does. They attempt to destroy whatever and whoever stands in their path and they don't care one bit about whether or not they're telling the truth. So obviously that's not the only news on the Biden crime family in the last 24 hours. There was a wave of reporting last night on the Bidens getting a million dollars from a corrupt Romanian oligarch named Gabriel Popovicu. This reporting is not new, though. It's in the Marco Polo report on the Biden laptop, and it's been reported by mainstream news outlets. Josh Boswell of the Daily Mail reported this back in July of 2021 from Marco Polo reporting, but it was reported all over again as if it was new, which is kind of interesting. It makes the whole thing seem like even more of an orchestrated info op than it already seems. But I imagine that was to put these stories more in the public consciousness before the press conference that happened this morning. Fox News gives a little write-up on the press conference. Biden family received millions from foreign nationals, tried to conceal source of funds. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee says the Biden family and its business associates created more than 20 companies and received more than $10 million from foreign nationals while Joe Biden served as vice president, and that some of these payments could indicate attempts by the Biden family to peddle influence. And you got to love how the mainstream media always frames things as if they might not be exactly what they obviously are. The committee has subpoenaed four different banks as part of its probe and received, quote, thousands of records in response. Those subpoenas were, quote, tailored to specific individuals and companies that engaged in business activities with Biden family members and their business associates, the memo said. So the committee also released a long memo in addition to the press conference. They actually should have just read the memo in the press conference and gone through the long list of facts and presented all the facts. And instead, they just had various members of the committee going up to make statements about the investigation and what they'd uncovered. So you end up getting a lot of fluff and a lot of sound bites rather than just laying down the facts for everyone. 
The memo said Biden family members and business associates created a web of over 20 companies. Most were limited liability companies formed during Joe Biden's vice presidency. The committee said those companies were formed mostly in Delaware and Washington, D.C., with the help of Hunter Biden's business partners, Rob Walker and James Gillier. The Biden family used business associates companies to receive millions of dollars from foreign companies, the memo said, adding that the Biden family, quote, received incremental payments over time to different bank accounts. It said Chinese nationals and companies with significant ties to Chinese intelligence and the Chinese Communist Party hid the source of the funds by layering domestic limited liability companies. The committee said it is investigating, quote, the opaque corporate structure of particular Biden affiliated companies, those companies complicated connections with each other, whether these companies maintained books and records and why certain foreign nationals sought to partner with and engage in business with specific Biden family members and their companies. It said it already sees signs that the Biden family may have collected money from foreign nationals trying to influence U.S. policy. For example, the committee said it discovered that Hunter Biden, through his associate Rob Walker, received more than a million dollars from a foreign company reportedly controlled by Gabriel Popovicu, the subject of a criminal probe and prosecution for corruption in Romania. Then Vice President Biden met with Romanian leaders in 2014 and 2015 regarding corruption in the company. The committee said it found that in addition to Hunter Biden, James Gillier and Rob Walker receiving foreign funds, James Biden, Hallie Biden and other Bidens also received foreign payments. They have nine in total. Currently, it's Joe Biden, his brother, James Biden, Sarah Biden, who's James Biden's wife, then Hunter's original wife, Kathleen his brother's wife, Hallie, who Hunter then had a relationship with, and his current wife, Melissa, and then some of the kids. And you might wonder, why are Joe Biden's grandchildren getting paid as part of the political corruption scheme? Oh, right. It's because they're hiding money and they're so decent, the Bidens, that they understand it's okay to implicate grandchildren in a criminal scheme of political corruption. The memo included a breakdown of the transactions from Chinese and Romanian nationals and companies. Specifically with regard to China, the memo points to two people, Yi Zhanming and Gang Wendong, and warned that particular Chinese business venture posed potential threats to American national security. Both people were connected to Hunter Biden's joint venture with Chinese energy company CEFC. The memo said Yi had close ties to the highest levels of the Chinese Communist Party and was reportedly deputy secretary general for an international outreach arm of the People's Liberation Army. Yi was later detained by the CCP in 2018. So that's good. The current fake president of the United States was doing family business with a high level official of the CCP and the PLA. The Bidens received millions of dollars from their Chinese partnership, the memo said. When Yi was detained by the Chinese, Hunter Biden then attempted to distance himself from the relationship by claiming he had never been paid by CEFC. This was false. The memo said Hunter Biden's company, Hudson West 5, received a $24 million wire from Yi. 
CFC later wired $100,000 to Hunter's Owasco PC. And the article goes on. I hope to get to the memo sometime today, and maybe we'll cover all of that in more detail. As I said, the press conference itself was a little lackluster, not the best possible presentation of the facts and what they actually have going on here. It was only shown on Fox. It was not on the other cable networks or the broadcast networks. Even C-SPAN didn't show it. And of course, none of this is particularly surprising because the last thing that they want to tell everybody is that the Biden family is actually as corrupt as all of the no-no people have been saying for a very long time. In my opinion, Byron Donald's comments during the press conference this morning were the most interesting because he was able to boil down a very salient point and make it real. Here's a bit of what he had to say. Hiding money, shifting money. Um, and for the purpose, we don't know, because one thing everybody in this room and the American people definitely know is that the Biden family doesn't really have a business. There is no business structure around this family except politics. And since Joe Biden has spent decades in the Senate, served eight years as vice president and is now president of the United States and the family's getting money from various countries and foreign businesses through various shell companies and this web of LLCs. I mean, guys, you in the press, this is easy pickings. I'm giving you Pulitzer stuff here. Like all you have to do is literally look at our memo and see the level of detail upon which they have created this. And it's very, it's very, very frustrating. We have now been able to clearly see that the Biden's associates like Rob Walker, Eric Sherman has been discussed, created at least 16 companies while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. 16 companies created while he was vice president. Now the list is 20. And as we continue our investigation, that list is growing. And like I said before, the question is to serve what purpose? And the purpose of all these companies being created is to conceal money that the Biden family has been gaining because Joe Biden has been sitting at the upper echelon of our politics for almost five decades. That is the entire purpose here. And he goes on. That the Department of Justice has been investigating Hunter Biden for quite some time, and we seem to just never really get anywhere. And so I think that's also interesting as well. I wonder what's going on at the Department of Justice. Uh, but that being said, the bottom line is there is no real business here. None. And let me also say this, because I know there are many in this room who wanted to go down all the various um, uh, schemes that our colleagues on the other side of the aisle accused the former president of. Be very clear, the former president actually had a business, very big business. You could say it was his name, you could say it was his buildings, you could say it was wine, you could say it was branding, you could say it was The Apprentice, but he had a very big and legitimate business, which everybody in this room clearly knows and understands and can point to and say, ah, that's the thing, that thing over there. Joe Biden has no business except his position in politics. And it is the requirement of this committee to investigate that. We're going to continue to do that. And we're going to let the facts speak for themselves. And he makes a great point. There is no Biden family business. Joe Biden has spent his entire life in professional politics. The last 50 years, just politics. And yet his family makes millions and millions and millions of dollars around the world. Multiple family members. Does Hunter have a business? No. 
Hunter's business is selling Joe's name and facilitating deals. Same with Jimmy Biden. This is just a crime family. Their business is political corruption. And yet we're told it's Donald Trump who does all that. Donald Trump actually has real businesses. Donald Trump has a career as a prominent businessman and celebrity and TV host and whatever else. But he was actually doing business. He created value in an economy. He was a productive member of society. Joe Biden is getting paid by taxpayers supposedly to represent them. But that's not where the real money comes from. The real money comes from representatives of our foreign adversaries as Joe Biden sells the U.S. interest to the highest bidder. Joe Biden gets paid to influence American politics and facilitate the agenda of the global regime. That is Joe Biden's job. That is Joe Biden's business. That's not a legitimate business. So we shall see how the media responds to all of this as this story builds, as people begin to read and cover the memo. The press conference was largely ignored. At the same time, the DOJ has released a 13-count indictment against Congressman George Santos. That's the big priority. George Santos, who may as well be a cartoon character, is being pursued by the DOJ because he gets tons of headlines. He makes the villagers insane. They want George Santos news all the time because... Santos is like some proxy for Trump. They can get mad at Santos and somehow Santos is Trump's fault and they can't get Donald Trump, but maybe they can get George Santos. So they go after Santos and we're going to have Santos headlines for days and none of it will make a damn bit of difference. But they can't be talking about the Joe Biden news. So you got to have the E. Jean Carroll story and the George Santos story. And that way, no one will pay attention to anything important. But that's not even all that's coming and not the extent of the bad news they're actually dealing with. The sit down between Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden and the other congressional leaders yesterday produced absolutely nothing. Kevin McCarthy was very strong in two press conference appearances after that meeting. He seems certain to hold the line on the House's position. No clean debt ceiling raise. They want these cuts and they're going to get these cuts. He made the point that the House has now done their job. They put a debt ceiling bill forward. They passed that bill. That bill includes cuts. If the Senate wants to come up with their own bill, they can, and then they can have a conference about it, and maybe Biden will sign it. But Biden's done nothing, and no one believes that the Senate is going to produce anything. So the only body that actually has done the work is the House. That's what Kevin McCarthy has to lean on. If the White House and the Senate don't want to meet the House's demands, then the debt ceiling won't get raised. We have Trump headed to New Hampshire tonight to do a CNN town hall. CNN is going to broadcast Donald Trump for an hour as he gets asked questions, probably lots of gotcha questions. Will there be any gotchas? Probably not. Trump released a video statement on the CNN town hall this morning, somewhat trolling, as you might expect. I'll be doing CNN tonight live from the great state of New Hampshire because CNN is rightfully desperate to get those fantastic Trump ratings back. They were ratings like none other, and they want them back. 
They made me a deal I couldn't refuse. Could be the beginning of a new and vibrant CNN with no more fake news, or it could be a total disaster for all, including me. Let's see what happens tonight at 8 o'clock. So, pretty hilarious, as always. I doubt that Donald Trump is even remotely concerned about this appearance being a disaster for him. There is virtually no chance of that happening. The most likely outcome from this appearance will be Trump haters whining for one day, maybe two days. Who knows? Maybe longer. Maybe he says something that really, really upsets them and they need to talk about conspiracy theorists and QAnon for the next week. That would also be hilarious. So we've got fake nothing stories about George Santos and E. Jean Carroll in an attempt to distract from the Biden memo and press conference released by the House Oversight Committee. The fact that Joe Biden has absolutely no leverage on the debt ceiling. Trump's town hall appearance, the end of Title 42, which may well red pill the entire nation about what our immigration situation actually is. And then we have Tucker Carlson. So let's talk about that. This is from yesterday in Axios. Scoop. Tucker Carlson accuses Fox of fraud and breach of contract. Tucker Carlson, two weeks after being ousted by Fox News, accused the network Tuesday of fraud and breach of contract and made a host of document demands that could precede legal action. The aggressive letter from his lawyers to Fox positions Carlson to argue that the non-compete provision in his contract is no longer valid, freeing him to launch his own competing show or media enterprise. Axios reported Sunday that Carlson, frustrated by being held to his contract, is preparing to unleash allies to pressure the network into letting him work for or start a right-wing rival. Carlson's contract runs until January 2025, and Fox wants to keep paying him, which would prevent him from starting a competing show. Carlson has already gotten eye-popping offers from several right-wing outlets and has talked to Elon Musk about working together. The letter from Carlson lawyer Brian Friedman to Fox officials Viet Dinh and Irina Briganti said Fox employees, including Rupert Murdoch himself, broke promises to Carlson, quote, intentionally and with reckless disregard for the truth. The lawyers accuse Fox executives, which two sources say are Din and Murdoch, of making material representations or promises to Carlson that were intentionally broken, constituting fraud. Notably, the letter alleges Fox broke an agreement with Carlson not to leak his private communications to the media and not to use Carlson's private messages, quote, to take any adverse employment action against him. Multiple outlets have reported on Carlson's redacted communications from pretrial discovery documents and have suggested that they led to his ousting. The letter also alleges Fox broke promises not to settle with Dominion voting systems, quote, in a way which would indicate wrongdoing, end quote, on the part of Carlson and not to take any actions in a settlement that would harm Carlson's reputation. Carlson was told by a member of the Fox board that he was taken off the air as part of the Dominion settlement. Two sources briefed on a conversation told Axios. According to a source familiar with Carlson's position, his lawyers believe that the misrepresentations alleged by Carlson amount to a breach of contract because they created additional terms of Carlson's employment that were then broken by the company. 
These actions not only breach the covenant of good faith and fair dealing in the agreement, but give rise to claims for breach of contract and intentional and negligent misrepresentation, the letter says. A Fox News spokesperson said it is categorically false that Carlson lost his job as part of the network's $787.5 million settlement with Dominion Voting Systems. Stephen Shackelford, an outside attorney for Dominion, told Axios's Dan Premack, Dominion did not insist on them firing Tucker Carlson as part of the settlement. So let's hold on this for just a minute. Dominion did not insist. That is not the same as did not discuss. That is not the same as did not ask for. That is not even the same as denying that Dominion was the cause for Tucker's firing. That little statement doesn't refute any of that. As I said at the time of the settlement, Fox and Dominion should not be looked at as in opposition. They are two different entities involved in the same project with the global regime with aligned interests who were both looking after their individual interests and their aligned interests in forming this settlement. The settlement means that the case would not go to trial and without it going to trial, there doesn't need to be a decision in court. This is how they avoid exposing the evidence to the public in the pre-trial discovery evidence supplied by Dominion. Their own documents show that Dominion Systems cannot produce reliable election results and are wide open and vulnerable to manipulation. That's what's in their documents. There was no way that Fox News would have lost that case had it gone to trial. So they both avoided the trial. Dominion doesn't want the public to know that its systems don't work and can be used to steal elections. Fox also doesn't want anyone to know that because they have ignored the truth of the stolen election for the last two and a half years. If that case went to trial, both entities would be completely screwed by creating the settlement. Both of these entities were able to look after their own interests. Now, usually when we get a bold claim about something and then the people who could be hurt by the truth of that claim respond in a way that doesn't actually refute the claim. There is something real there almost all the time. And let's consider what that real thing would be if this proves to be true. And I kind of feel like it's going to. If Dominion was involved in getting Tucker Carlson fired from a major media outlet, their number one star, the most highly rated TV host in the nation. If Dominion was involved in his firing, that means that a foreign invested and foreign controlled company who sells software and equipment that controls our elections to the point where manipulation of those systems can decide the outcome of elections, that company would then be responsible for getting the number one TV host in the country fired because guests who appeared on his show said mean things about that company. That also, by the way, happened to be true. In any sane world, that would be what people perceive as the real threat to democracy. The company that controls 
the voting machines and thereby controls the elections has the power to get TV hosts fired. Now, the good news is Tucker already has something better lined up. And here's a video statement he released yesterday on Twitter. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters, every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. So Tucker is going to bring his show to Twitter. He's going to do Tucker Carlson tonight on Twitter, I guess. And apparently he'll be creating other content that takes advantage of Twitter's platform. Maybe he'll be doing Twitter spaces. And it seems he's going to introduce some television-ish aspect as well. Jack Posobiec wrote on Twitter yesterday, bring back Twitter streaming, launch Twitter live apps for Roku, Fire, Apple TV, etc. Become the greatest video platform in the universe. And Elon Musk responded and said, coming. So apparently that's something to look forward to. And I imagine that that will probably be released around the same time as Tucker's show comes out. Elon also wrote on Twitter yesterday, 
On this platform, unlike the one-way street of broadcast, people are able to interact, critique, and refute whatever is said. And of course, anything misleading will get community notes. I also want to be clear that we have not signed a deal of any kind whatsoever. Tucker is subject to the same rules and rewards of all content creators. Rewards mean subscriptions and advertising revenue share coming soon, which is a function of how many people subscribe and the advertising views associated with the content. I hope that many others, particularly from the left, also choose to be content creators on this platform. So Elon Musk is going to have the most popular TV host in the country doing his show on Twitter. Remember back to last summer and last fall, how many screeching articles we got from mainstream media outlets and Blue Anon, all of those closely tied into the regime who are worried about the regime's control of the narrative slipping away as they lose control of Twitter. All of those people were claiming that what Elon was doing was going to crush Twitter as a business. They would lose all their advertising revenue. The platform would be overwhelmed with hate speech and no one would ever want to use it again. It was going to be too toxic for any advertisers. Revenues would drop. He was already firing all of his important workforce, the people doing all the censoring. Twitter was absolutely screwed. Well, now they have the country's biggest TV host doing a show on Twitter. Are advertisers going to be willing to advertise on Tucker Carlson's show on Twitter? The answer is obviously yes. And that's not the only advantage for advertisers on Twitter with a show like Tucker Carlson's. They're going to have viewer numbers, real-time viewer numbers coming in constantly. Reliable statistics about how many people are seeing their ads in real time, as opposed to what they have with normal cable news. Twitter has introduced a subscription model, and you can imagine that millions of people will subscribe to Tucker Carlson's channel to see his show on a regular basis. And now Tucker is free from the censorship and the other controls about what he's allowed to say that come with being part of a mainstream news outlet. Now he gets to say whatever he wants and have his own business where he is paid directly by all the people who are watching him. It just is a better business model. I said a couple of weeks ago, I thought maybe he should do that very thing on Rumble. Turns out it's not going to be Rumble. It's going to be Twitter. But the principle is the same in either case. And Tucker is going to have a lot to talk about on Twitter. A lot of things he couldn't really discuss on his Fox News show. Where are his January 6th tapes? If he still has access to all that, well, he's going to be able to bring those right to Twitter where millions and millions of people can see it in real time and spread that information in its original form immediately to the rest of Twitter. He's also going to be able to find a really interesting niche in the media landscape. We used to think about back in the day, before everything got changed, before Obama made it legal to propagandize the American public, we used to hear about how there was supposed to be equal time for both parties on the network airwaves. Because those were the public airwaves. Tucker Carlson on his show is actually going to be able to provide that in the run up to the 2024 election. He'll have Donald Trump on and Donald Trump will come on his show. He'll have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on and RFK Jr. is going to come on his show. I'm sure he'd also invite Joe Biden on. 
But Joe Biden's not going to come on his show. So the regime candidates are going to be too scared to go on Tucker Carlson's show, and they will therefore miss out on the biggest platform they could possibly have. Now, it's worth noting that today, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. put out a statement about a potential run with Donald Trump as his VP. He wrote, just to quell any speculation, under no circumstances will I join Donald Trump on an electoral ticket. Our positions on certain fundamental issues, our approaches to governance, and our philosophies of leadership could not be further apart. So that's what he's going with now. We'll see if that changes in the future. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe RFK Jr. really believes that. I kind of doubt it. We shall see. He may well think differently after he and all his supporters and the American public in general realize that the Democrat Party is rigging elections to keep him from winning the nomination. It would be hard to imagine right now that RFK Jr. under any circumstances would come out and start talking about being on a ticket with Donald Trump. That is the sort of thing that's going to turn off a bunch of his potential supporters right away. So either he's just navigating his situation and manipulating narratives, or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, good luck to him. He's going to get rolled. I don't want to see that happen to him. I don't want him to do that to himself, but we shall see. Regardless, Tucker is going to have both of them on, Trump and RFK Jr., and he will give them time to present their case to the nation. And fortunately, both men are making their case by specifically going after the regime. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has not hesitated to call the regime out, to call the CIA out, to call out the abuses of the pharma company in regards to vaccines, and to call out at least the excesses of the climate change movement. We are immediately in a much better position with Tucker Carlson talking to Trump and Kennedy about how bad the regime is than we were in the past with the mainstream media doing whatever they can to tell us how good the regime is in comparison to people who are anti-regime like Trump and to some extent RFK Jr. And now if you've listened to this show for a long time, you'll know that I have a different take on Elon's relationship with Twitter than most people do. Most people go by the official story. Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion. I don't believe that's possible because I don't think that the greatest information weapon in the history of the world is up for sale for $44 billion. And that may prove wrong, but it hasn't yet. And I still think that that is the most likely answer for what's going on right now. Now, we also know that despite Tucker Carlson's texts that were released from the Dominion discovery that seemed to show some animosity toward Donald Trump, that animosity no longer exists. They were hanging out just a couple of months ago in Florida. Tucker has visited Trump plenty of times over the last few years. If I'm right about all of that, then Tucker joining Elon is a proof that I'm on the right track on this line of thinking. That would mean that they are collectively executing a considerably larger plan than what it seems from the public optics. And as we see more pieces fall into place, I think that continues to make more sense. Now, just for fun, let's get some media reaction. This clip features Brian Stelter, 
who was fired from CNN and is now apparently on NBC News sometimes. Okay. Well, listen, Twitter was already under fire from misinformation, disinformation, all out lies, anti-Semitism, racism before Elon Musk took over. And now it's gotten kind of crazy, right? Seemingly unmoored, uh, if you will. Will anybody be able to police what Carlson says? Mm. Or is this the point? It's just a free-for-all. I think this is the point. It is a free-for-all. It's what Elon Musk wants to provide. This move by Tucker may cement the idea of Twitter as a right-wing website. No, no. Racism and disinformation. This move is going to cement Twitter as a right-wing website. Well, okay, guys. Good luck. And before I go, I just want to note how incredible it is that we live in such a strange time that we can get the sort of decision we got in the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit yesterday. In another age, that would have really, really hurt any politician. Donald Trump doesn't leave a dent. That story comes out. Everybody's like, oh, no, this is terrible news. And then a few minutes later, you're like, oh, yeah, that was like not that terrible. That's the best they've got. And then what do we have in response? We have the debt ceiling disaster, the immigration disaster coming that Joe Biden's fake administration seems to be reversing itself on regarding Title 42. It's almost like it wasn't even up to them. We have the Biden memo release. We have Trump tonight on CNN. And then we have Tucker going to Twitter. These last 24 hours, Who is the news bad for? I would suggest it's all of them. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. 
The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!